Coming to you from Silicon Valley, I'm Marcus Edwards, and I'm on the hunt for recruiting leaders, producers, innovators, and pioneers who've made their mark on the industry and can't wait to share their points of view. We'll tackle the tough topics and dig deep to find the answers you're looking for and some actionable advice you can take to the bank. So stick around and stay tuned, and welcome to Recruiting Trailblazers. Okay, so I'm very excited to welcome my guest today to Recruiting Trailblazers. James Ellis is the principal of Employer Brand Labs in Chicago. He's an author, keynote speaker, practitioner, and podcaster with a wealth of experience across multiple industries for almost a decade. James wrote Talent Chooses You, Hire Better with Employer Branding, which has been called the Bible of Employer Branding, and also manages the number one employer brand newsletter in the world, employer brand headlines, which helps companies globally establish their brand and develop their ability to hire talent. So welcome to the podcast, James Ellis. How, how am I expected to follow that intro? That's, that's, that's painful. And the accent makes it sound even better. How I can't, I am done. Good night. Good night, everybody. Thanks for listening. Okay. Well, thanks for coming. <laughs> <laughs> no, I'm pumped to be here. Thanks Marcus for inviting me. Yeah, no, thanks a lot. I'm glad we've made time to do this. I think employer branding, you know, as a sort of a big part of the recruiting paradigm has become more and more important over the years. Um, And it's something that great recruiters love to leverage. And we're going to sort of break it down a bit today and find out what employer branding really is. So I've got a great question for you, James. Fantastic. Let's go. Let's go. No, really. What is employer branding? (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> the, you know, the, I made a lot of, uh, made people, a lot of people laugh by saying, look, if you ask any 10 people in the employer brand space, how to define employer brand, you'll get 12 answers. And it's, it's gotten better since then. It's tightened up a bit. This idea really is employer brand is that individuals have a perception of what must it like to be to work there. And that perception comes from touch points and experiences and what was the recruiter like and do they buy a product and what's in the news and all this stuff kind of forms this picture in people's minds. It's perception and it's individual perception. The thing that, you know, most people stop there. The really interesting part to me is, well, what do I want it to do? And the purpose of employer brand, which I think is much more fascinating, is to create desire. It's to create desire amongst the target audience, the people you're really trying to hire, not just anybody, not people who can just do the job, but the people who are value adds, who are good fits, who are really going to move the company forward. You want them to not just, ah, I guess I'll apply. You want them to go, yeah, you've been on my list for like five years. And today the stars align. I'm hitting the apply button. You want desire. And that's what really employer brand is trying to do. So much of classic recruiting is just kind of grabbing people by the arm and twisting it and say, please apply. I want you. Uh, Let me throw you some data points. Please apply. Please apply. And you want to flip it the other way around. You want to say the jobs are open. Who's really interested in this thing? And the line forms to the left and it, and it forms and it's about desire. So that's really where I start. So effectively, I mean, it's like marketing a product, but you're not marketing the product this time. You're marketing the job um, and the opportunity of working at that brand. Exactly. But, but exactly. traditional marketing seems to be sort of eons ahead of recruitment marketing in its implementation, right? Yeah, absolutely. And there's a reason for that. And it's not just because, well, they've been doing it for a lot longer and employer brand is effectively 31 years old, right? Depending on what clock you're looking at. It's because classic consumer marketing 
worships at the, the church or the altar of more, right? They want more shelf space. They want more share of wallet. They want more eyeballs. They want more impressions. They want more leads. They want more sales. They want more, 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 more. And it's, that kind of leads to a very simple, straightforward model. Whatever I can do to get attention, whatever I can do to convert action, whatever I can do to drive more. Now, Anybody who's a recruiter who's worth their salt knows there's a real simple line at which more stops being really interesting, right? You don't need a million people to apply for a job. You really, in a perfect world, want two. The person you hire who's amazing and the other person who's not quite as amazing. And you're saying, oh, sorry, maybe next time it was so great to get to know you. And everything beyond that is a waste of time and energy. And so it's a function of quality instead of a function of quantity. And because we're so weird in that way, right? Jobs, there's only that one job. There's only that one slot to fill. You can't have everybody want to apply it. What you're trying to do is create perfect matches. You're trying to say this role is perfect for someone, not just anybody, not just anybody who can do the job, but the person who's a great fit. They fit the company, they fit the team, and we fit them, right? It goes in all directions. And that's what great recruiting is all about. It's not about how do I shout the, the message from the rooftops? It's not about how do I get more applicants? It's about how do I find that perfect candidate and have them want to work in this spot? That's really what employer branding does really, really well. Right. It does it well. So effectively what you're saying is until you've identified your sort of perfect candidate persona from all angles, then you might just be going out there with a shotgun and hoping for the best. So the first thing you have to do is figure out who it is that you want to speak to and how do you go about that? Yeah. And then, you know, you think of, and I always quibble with the word personas. Personas gets, you know, used pretty poorly in modern parlance. It's just, oh, we want a woman who's 42 years old who reads magazines. We're like, no, you want so much more than that, so much deeper. So I think of it as individuals really, but I think that's a quibble. What we're talking about is saying the person who can do the job doesn't mean they're going to be happy with you, right? Goldman Sachs is looking for a certain kind of person. A startup is looking for a different kind of person. Bank of America is looking for yet a different kind of person. Maybe they're all developers. Maybe they're all data scientists. Maybe they'll have the exact same skill set. But the attributes, the way they see the world, the way they like to do work is different. And you can't interchange them just because the skill sets are the same. Understanding what you offer is a function of saying, what do we reward? Do we reward cutthroat, win at any cost, uh, stab you in the back, shark thinking, or do we reward best idea wins? Do we reward teamwork? Do we reward selfless devotion to a larger goal? Now, you want all of those, but do you really? Right? Like Goldman Sachs, they don't want you to be nice. <laughs> You're not here to make friends. You're here to do whatever it takes to make a big pile of money, and that's the game. And Bank of America, it's a different model that's much more stable. They're much more staid. They're much more uh, conservative in their approach. They're looking for what better outcomes, obviously, but they're not winner take all. It's not they're stabbing each other in the back to make it happen. The startup is all about team and best idea wins. It's not just about the skill set. It's about the mindset of the person approaching the job. And so what a recruiter who's really good at this understands, look, this is the kind of company where culture looks like collaboration or culture looks like cutthroat or how would they describe it? So when I say I'm looking for a data scientist or a developer or a nurse or whatever, I'm looking for one who's going to thrive in XYZ culture. And that's where, where, where great matches start to happen. Gotcha. Um, so what would you say are 
the main cornerstones of a great employer brand? What does it actually look like if you're the person who's responsible for driving that employer brand forward? What are those sort of like those cornerstones? What do they look like? Yeah. So I think of it as four legs of the stool. And if you get three of them, the stool will stay up for a while, but it'll eventually fall over. If you get two, you're, you're teetering all over the place. First off, what is the current experience of employees who work there? What would they say? Because if you say it's an amazing place to work and all your people are like, uh, no, and you look at the Glassdoor scores and your you know, competitive scores or all these other scores, you're being so aspirational that you're effectively talking bull, right? You're just, you're just making stuff up. So you have to take into account the current working experience of people who are actually working there. Yeah. So can we pause there for a second? Because what you've just said, what is their experience of the job today? That to me sounds like easily the most important part of any employer brand. Am I correct? I don't think there's the most important part. I think it's the most obvious thing. I think it's the most easy to point at and touch and score and quantify. It's the thing that's existing out in the world because of review sites. But I don't know if it's the most important. I think together they form a clear picture. Interesting. But, you know, I've always thought that the most sort of relevant part of any employer brand is the way in which current employees or recent employees who might have left, you know, speak about the brand. Mm -hmm. And less so is it about the sort of the above the line marketing initiatives that the marketing department get involved in and, and, yeah. and sort of, you know, publish in blogs and on the website, et cetera. To me, we're in this era of like authenticity where if I'm going to join a company, what I really want to know is what's it like to work there? How do yeah. people treat each other? What's the culture like? What's the opportunity like? And the only way I think I'm really going to get the answer I'm looking for is by talking to current employees or reading what current employees say, or, you know, sometimes people who've left and we'll get into glass door and blind in a minute. But um, what do you think is more important or equally as important as that? I think you take that and you frame it. Look, I've worked in companies where um, you look at the Glassdoor's reviews and they say, this place is chaos. I don't know who's in charge. I just do stuff. And sometimes it's good and sometimes it's bad. Uh, if I need to spend money, I don't always know what to do. There's not a lot of structure here. There's not a lot of processes baked in. And the way they describe it sounds like absolute chaos. It sounds like terrifying, except it's a startup. Obviously, those processes don't exist. And to someone who likes that model where they say, that's not a negative, that's a positive. That means I've got room to make some impact. I've got room to make some decisions. I get, my, I get some autonomy. The same situation is true, but how do you frame it? They're both correct. But what Brand says is, look, this is the way it is. So that level of what's the experience is a true fact. And we're not going to try and change it, but we're going to reframe it to say, look, if it sounds like chaos and you don't want chaos, guess what? This isn't the place for you. But if you realize that chaos is an opportunity for autonomy, well, gosh, we have a great conversation ahead of us, right? The same is true for hard work. The same is true for work-life balance. The same is true for any kind of attribute. People can look at it in positive light or they can look at it in negative light. And that's a function of fit. It's a function of match, right? The person who works at Bank of America, you can't just pick them up and stick them in Golden Sacks because they're expected to work 100-hour work days or 100-hour work weeks, right? That's just the expectation of the job. And they say, oh my God, the work is so hard, right? We all saw the news stories over the last two years of they're working these insane hours, well, yeah, because they made a clear transaction between if you work these insane hours, we're going to make you rich. Like you'll never see the inside of the coach cabin on a plane ever again, right? That is a transaction. Give us your 20s. We'll make you rich. 
Now that is a yeah, clear, and I think but, so. but I want to make sure it's clear. That is a transaction that was clear. Like Goldman Sachs didn't hide that and say, oh yeah, bait and switch. They said, this is how hard you're going to work. And every single person who's working there knew exactly how hard they work and they have a reason for doing that. That yeah, model no. is crystal clear to them because they because Goldman Sachs is very clear about what they're offering. And to a certain extent, I think Goldman Sachs has transcended employer branding because everybody in the world knows who they are. Everybody knows that they're a very desirable place to work if you're in finance mm-hmm. and that people make an enormous amount of money working there. So in some ways, I think that they've, they've broken the mold to a certain extent. But if we look at the rest of the employer population, um, and especially companies you were just talking about, startups, who are selling chaos, which is quite incredible if you can actually do that. You've got to be a hell of a spin doctor to sell chaos. Oh no, some people love it so long as you don't sell it as chaos. You call it opportunity, you call it autonomy, you call it freedom, you call it, you know, you get a chance to really make an impact in this space. And I know a lot of people who itch for that, that they're sick of the constraints of larger companies. It's not a good or bad situation. It's simply of what you like and what I like might be different. And that's not a bad thing. That's a good thing. The question is, here, let me rephrase it this way. Glassdoor, by virtue of having a score, says that there's an up score and a down score. You can have a 4.7 or you can have a 3.2. And one is a good company and one is a bad company. And I would say no, because just because you're a 4.7, what that means is you've done, one, a really good job recruiting people who want what you have to offer. Two, you've delivered it. And that's great. 3.1 says, I don't know what to tell people. So I tell them any old thing to get them in the door. Turns out that that's not what we actually are going to experience. And they get mad. They leave a bad score. It's not a good bad. It's a function of matching. Are you a good fit for this company? Do you want what they reward? That's where employer brand really takes its value is they can say, this is what it's going to be like. We can sell and talk about this idea of the opportunity. Well, how accurately do you think employer brand is reflected in Glassdoor opinions? Because let's face it, if you're giving a Glassdoor opinion, for the most part, you're doing it on your way out. Mm, I think some employers have done a much better job recently of encouraging their current employees to write something nice on Glassdoor. And that's great. And to a certain extent, that's manipulating the population to a degree. But I think a lot of people, when they leave a company, they leave because they've had enough. Yeah, absolutely. Because they've even been, you know, ejected. And so those are slanted opinions. And I think the fact that they're anonymous has always made me slightly suspicious of whether or not that is a true reflection of their employer brand. What do you think? And that's why it's only one piece of a larger puzzle, right? You can't treat that as gospel. You have to treat that as a data point or a series of data points that, you know, focus on this idea. So if you're seeing, going back to this chaos startup model, if you're seeing nothing but this place is nuts. I don't know what's going on. No one is making decisions. You know, who's at the wheel kind of situations on Glassdoor. But the career site says this is a place where we move fast and break things. Where there, You're not going to see a lot of red tape. You're not going to see a lot of bureaucracy. This is a place where if you make a mistake, it's on you. But we trust you as an adult to decide which, which, which risks to take. Those two things line up really, really well. And in fact, what's really interesting is that when you start to see some of the negative aspects of an employer brand, very often they prove the positive thing. So if I am a recruiter and I'm saying, this is a great place, you have lots of opportunity, you have lots of openness, there's a lot of freedom, a lot of autonomy, isn't it great? 
it's too rose colored. It's too positive. It's like, whoa, what's the catch? But if I hear that and then I look at the glass door and say, this place is chaos, I go, ah, that is the other side of that coin. That is the downside of what the recruiter is saying. And now I actually believe what the recruiter is saying. It's not just all rose colored glasses. I can see how that works in reality. And suddenly those two pieces actually create a positive sense of, oh, I get what it's like to work here. I have a good perception of what that's like. Yeah, but candidates often just get back to the recruiter and say, I've checked out Glassdoor and they've only got a 3.2. So to be honest with you, I'm not interested. It doesn't sound like a, an employee experience that would work for me. Yeah. And, and they don't go much deeper than that. Yeah. And that's why it is part of employer brands to say, look, how do we make sure that the negative stuff is framed appropriately? So that if you are one, you are, you know, you touched on it earlier, we should be encouraging current staff to leave reviews. It's not just, you know, it's the person flipping you off on the way out the door. It's no, tell us the experience. So that should elevate that or moderate that score somewhat. But at the same time, you should be responding to those negatives. You say, look, you make it sound crazy, but we talk about the opportunity we give people. It's not for everybody. Just give a frame to those negative things. And the yeah. candidates are smart. They know how to put things together. They don't just look at the score and say, oh, is bad, therefore done. They go, okay, that's bad. Let me look at the team. I'd be, oh, okay. Oh, okay. This makes sense. This and they start to create that picture of what it's like. And that is a function of employer brand. Yeah. And I thought you articulated the value proposition of startups quite nicely a few minutes ago when you were talking about autonomy and failing fast and we'll be there to support you and we're not micromanaging you. Um, but isn't that kind of the same across all startups? Doesn't everybody sing the same song? How do you actually... I mean, I'm looking at this through the lens of a recruiter, either an internal recruiter or an agency recruiter. How do you leverage that to differentiate? How much deeper do you need to go and what kind of questions do you need to ask? And back to my sort of like original statement, I think it's how the current and past employees feel about this that really matters. How do you leverage all of this rather than just writing puff pieces on websites and blogs? Yeah, that's that's true. And, and there is a, a or job descriptions. Oh, let's not get, let's let us not wander into that third rail of job descriptions. I could talk about that for an hour and a half and bore you to death. I, and there's a phrase called employer blanding, which I think has taken place in the industry. And it's what professionals kind of point to and say, yeah, it is puff pieces. It is pretty pictures on Instagram. It is just making things generically positive without a sense of what you're trying to say. And I'd also kind of point out that, you know, this description of a startup is also how I describe Netflix. It's also how I describe a number of very large companies. It's not exclusive to startups. That said, the truth is there's 50 million companies in, in, in the world, right? There's 20 million in North America alone. They can't all be perfectly unique snowflakes with perfectly precise you know, uh, positions and completely different and unique uh, descriptions of their brand. When you're trying to say this is what it's like to work here, it's okay that you look and sound a little bit like someone else. You can say, we're like Amazon, except X. We do it this way. It's okay to start at a position of known information. Uh, there's a company called X. I go ahead and I'll drop the name. Uh, VMware for a long time used to refer to themselves as Google for grownups. They said, understand the, employee, the situation at Google, but for more of a grown-up position. And that was enough for them because it paints an incredibly clear picture in a candidate's mind to say, okay, I'm taking everything I know about Google, flip it a little bit to say, oh, but not just for the 12-year-olds who just graduated college, it's for adults. And they, oh, that makes sense. And, it's a, and that's all it is. The one thing I want to point out is that an employer brand doesn't have to be a complete, for lack of a better word, experience. A lot of what good employer brand does is create a hook. It draws you in to say, please learn more. 
Because you're right. Every company I know offers a salary and they offer benefits and they offer some family leave. And the differences between the two are very subtle if, if they exist at all. But the reason you engage is because we care about this mission or because we're all about collaboration or because we're going to give you status that you're not going to get anywhere else or because there's just a handful of core ideas to focus on. Now, if you understand that most people can't work at every company, so you can't say I could work at 20 million companies, they can work at law firms, I could work at hospitals, I could work at startups, because that limits the focus. And that's actually one of the, the pillars of the stool is to say, what are my options? Right. If I'm a lawyer and I excel in a partnership uh, situation, I'm not going to be general counsel for some company. I'm going to work in a partnership. OK, most partnerships look a certain way. The sense of the employer brand is if that's a known, how do you deviate or where are you better or where are you different? So you start by saying, look, we're just like every other partnership. You're going to work your butt off. You know, you're going to have a crazy caseload. And we do this other thing. And that's enough of a difference for someone to say, okay, I get why you're different. So from a recruiter's perspective, and we talked about the employee experience, how do you leverage the best parts of an employer brand, either as an in-house recruiter or as an agency recruiter? What parts of the employer brand are you most interested in in order for you to be able to gain the traction in the candidate marketplace that you want to and differentiate yourself as A, a recruiter and B, a company that's you know infinitely desirable? Talk me through that. So the mistake to start off with is to take the hashtag or the brand tagline and just repeat it like a minor bird and just say it over and over again as if it means something. Those like, lines, oh gosh, uh, we pioneer um, best, you know, uh, Best idea always wins, right? That that something to that. Right, that so that hook. above the line nonsense, yeah. Yeah, forget about that. We know that's not working anymore. Exactly. So the process of understanding it from a recruiter standpoint, employer brand is this hook, but most of them aren't trained very well to say what's beneath the surface, and they kind of look at it and they go, "This is stupid," and they throw it away and they do what they do. That's why that disconnect between employer brand and recruiting often happens. What they need to do is say, okay, what are the motivations this brand is trying to reach out to? Oh, we're all about status. We're all about innovation. We're all about autonomy. We're all about whatever that thing is, okay? And it should reflect reality of what it's like to really work there, right? That shouldn't be crazy ideas. It should be like, yeah, that sounds like our company. Their job is to localize that bigger idea into the audience they're trying to reach. So if they're trying to talk to nurses, what does innovation mean to a nurse? If they're trying to talk to data scientists, what does innovation mean to a data scientist? That process of localization is crucial because what the value of employer branding at that stage is, is it shapes your outreach message. And having put that out, what does the candidate do when they get an email? They go and they research and they say, well, where else do I see this information? So if the recruiter says, work here, we're incredibly innovative, and the candidate starts looking around and they don't see anything else about innovation, they go, oh, this recruiter's lying to me. And that's the end of that conversation. But if the brand says we're all about innovation, and that means the recruiter is reaching out about innovation, and the brand and recruitment marketing people are building career sites that talk about innovation, and the innovation is woven through the entire interview, suddenly this claim of innovation feels real. It's validated. It's true. And suddenly the outreach starts to work more effectively, and it gets threaded through the entire process. So a lot of what employer brand does is align all the different disparate pieces, the career site, the corporate site, the LinkedIn messages, the outreach messages, the job posting, to talk about one or two core ideas so that think of Volvo for the longest yeah, time. Yeah, but let me just say for a second. Okay, yeah. because, okay, yes, yeah, so it's definitely about alignment. You have to be able to back up your story upon research. Correct. 
you don't want candidates going out there and just finding information that's clearly in contrast with what you've been telling them in your outreach messaging. Exactly. Um, which is fine. But what part of the actual employer brand today in 2023 is resonating the most in the sort of like the candidate marketplace? Because you've got culture, you've got compensation, you've got benefits, mm. you've got work from home, yep. you've got team, collaboration, management, all of these different factors. How do you sort of counsel recruiters when they say to you, what are the best parts of these for me to be leveraging in my outreach messaging and in my conversations? Because, you know, you don't have that much time or space these days yep. to grab the attention of good candidates. Totally. Okay. You've got a few lines and people who just send out long, boring job specs, you know, they're not getting much of a response these days. You've got to do something to differentiate yourself. And I think this is all about differentiation. How do you differentiate the company you either work at or the company that you're representing yep. in the candidate marketplace? And what are those triggers that have proven to be the most effective when it comes to getting a candidate response? So it, 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 there's no way to answer that question. They say, oh, the answer is culture because that's not how that works. What you do is say the term EVP means employer value proposition. What's the value, value we offer an employee to work here? Now, that value is the most important word here because it's both the objective values, the salary, the benefits, the bonuses, the titles, the start dates, all that stuff. But it's the subjective values. It is we're very collaborative or we're very collective. You know, we, we help each other. We support each other. There's a lot of it's not just so much the benefits of you know, what they offer you, but it's the, hey, this is a place where if you need to take a week off to, to, to recoup, go for it. This is a place where we run really fast and this is, you know, we, we congratulate each other for, for running really fast. The subjective values are incredibly important. They're saying, hey, we're all very mission driven. Hey, we're all very status driven. We're all very, you know, this is who we are. The problem is, is that in modern recruiting, it can be, here's all sorts of nonsense from recruiters, from interviewers, from Glassdoor, from career sites, and they very rarely know what to believe. And in the process of an interview, the expectation is the candidate is supposed to kind of create a picture in their head. But the truth is they don't believe 99% of what was said. Oh, you say you're innovative, but I've looked at your ATS and are you really innovative? Oh, you say you're innovative, but you don't use the news technology to do X and Y and Z. What do you mean by innovative? It's such a subjective term, right? If I get hired at a place and say, you said you were innovative, but I don't get a new computer. Mine's three years old. What did you mean by innovative? Go, oh, I meant this. And that subjectivity means a candidate who's savvy says, I'm going to ignore anything I can't prove. What does that leave? The objective stuff, the salary, can you work from home? What's the bonus? What's the title? And that's what's left. And if that's all you have to fight on, if that's all that the candidate will believe, you're in for a tough fight. It is all about money. It is all about do you offer work from home? I would wager that most people who are paid a fair amount, and obviously that's a, a, a tough term to kind of use, but a fair amount would happily give up a 5% raise to get twice as much of that motivation they care about, to get twice as much innovation, to get twice as much status, to get twice as much collaboration. The problem is we don't prove it in the, in the journey. We say, oh yeah, we care about collaboration. That's the end of the conversation. But yeah. if you No, I agree. It, I agree with that. But I also think that today in 2023, I think all of these things we've been talking about are important, but in order to attract great candidates, You've got to be transparent about compensation and benefits. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. And that has to align with your candidate's expectations and needs. Mm -hmm. And 
I think the work from home thing is absolutely huge. I think some people have reached a point in their lives, especially, you know, post pandemic, where they're not prepared to go back into the office or they just want an optional hybrid model. Sure. And so I think a lot of companies are suffering and will suffer if they insist upon people coming back into the office full time. And the optional hybrid model, I think, is the best. Um, but when we start talking about culture and the way people treat each other, and opportunity for advancement and training and management and not micromanaging people and letting people fail and all that stuff. That's the stuff that keeps people in companies because once they're in there, but they're not such big levers when it comes to getting people into the company because they're harder Mm -hmm. to sell. And like you said, they're very subjective. Completely. um, Unless you can demonstrate this through all your glass door and blind reviews and um, and stuff online that basically purports to support everything that you're talking about there. Yeah. My rule of thumb is you have to prove the subjective stuff like 10 times harder than anything objective. And most recruiters and companies aren't willing to go that far. And so it's just kind of, it's a claim that just dies on the vine. Right. So we've established that then Yeah. without a great comp and without great benefits, um, without possibly work from home options, you're discounting a lot of people and it doesn't matter how much you wax lyrical about all the other wonderful things and the opportunities. And then, you know, of course it used to be all about like fuzzball tables and free lunches and, and taxis to work and stuff like that. Those are benefits that I think are important. You know, once you get inside the organization, the, the thing that I've always said on this podcast, which is the most important part of any company culture and whether people stay or not is how people treat each other on a daily basis, what it feels like to work there. And I think that transcends compensation to a certain extent, because quite often it's like better the devil, you know, than the devil you don't. Even if somebody comes along and says, Hey, look, here's another 15 or 20 grand to come and work over here. Do you really want to take that risk? And today in 2023, there's a bit of like nervousness in the marketplace as well, because you know, people I think are probably going to sit tight a little bit more this year than in previous years, Mm. because, you know, we're a bit uncertain about what the economy is doing. So again, it's six of one, half a dozen of the other, but interesting, nevertheless, to talk about all these different, you know, components and aspects of of an employer brand. Um, Do you have any sort of like advice for recruiters on this topic going forward in 2023, whether they're in-house or agency recruiters? Yeah, I I think... For the longest time, we were told that an employer brand looks like X. It's a big EVP. It comes in a deck. It comes in pillars. Somebody spent fifty, dollars $100,000 on it. They got handed to the recruiter. You say, here, here's the brand. Do with it what you will. That's a way of doing employer brand, but that's not necessarily the only way of doing it. I think employer brand, give it the sense that it's that. What's the perception and how do you influence that perception? You can do it a lot smaller. You can do it in very local uh, retail environments. You can say, look, the company is X, Y, and Z, but this is what the, the job is really like. I mean, recruiters inherently know that their job is to kind of give a good description of what the experience is like. Packaging that up and connecting it with what other recruiters are saying, with what the career site is saying, that's plenty. That gets the job done very often. It moves the needle to say, this is what we're crystal clear on. Sometimes it's helpful to have someone to say, look, of the hundred things you could say positive about this company and about this job, this is the one that other people don't say. And it would be really interesting to introduce that very early on the conversation, right? If you're a company that offers six month FMLA, which in the US is deeply rare, that's what my lead point would be. 
That's where I would stand up and say, look, that is what makes this company different from lots of other companies. They have lots of other benefits. They have lots of other positive things to say, but that's your hook. That's the way you come in. Employer brand can be as simple as that. It's just identifying the things that make you interesting and different relative to your options, relative to the talent's options. Yeah, you're absolutely right. I think employee experience, in addition to the other things we talked about, you know, can be a big lever as well. So you have to pick your hook and you have to go a little bit deeper than just some of the subjective stuff, the innovative stuff and everything else that people love to say. But the reality is, is that you need to evidence it in this day and age. And you need to answer the question as an employer brand, you need to answer the question, what's in it for me as an employee? Okay. And if you can answer that question, and if you can somehow raise awareness around what the answer to that question is during your outreach on your website and the other part, which we haven't talked about of an employer's brand is their candidate experience. What Mm -hmm. happens to a candidate when they go into the interview process? Because we talk about this all the time on the podcast. That's a huge part of that candidate's decision-making process how they are treated, how they're managed, and and the kind of information that they're privy to during that candidate experience. In fact, today in this new world of work from home for a lot of people, that's the only experience they're going to have of that company's culture. So you have to have a very well thought out candidate journey and candidate experience that really showcases everything that we've talked about today, you know, without sort of like making a big deal out of it. But, you know, to, to make the process more than just, as I've said before, the Spanish Inquisition, it shouldn't just be about the employer brand experience during the candidate experience shouldn't just be me asking you loads of questions to see whether or not you are good enough to do this job or suitable enough to do this job. It should be 50% of that and 50% of here's what we can do for you. Here's what it's going to be like for you to work here. And here's what advancement looks like. And here are the opportunities for you, you know, to train and to level up and to learn lots of new things. I think that's just as important a part of an employer brand as all this other stuff that we've been talking about as well. Yeah. And you need to be intentional about that. I I quibble on the internet with things like, oh, this is what a good culture looks like. I said, no, that's what a good culture looks like to you. That's not necessarily what it looks like to everybody else. The same is true for candid experience. Offering a white glove candid experience works wonders in certain situations, but it is not the end all be all. A good candid experience, to your point, reflects the culture, reflects the experience of working there. Uh, You know, if you try to join the army, the the candidate experience is really getting shot at, putting bullets over your head because that's the job. Carry a 40-pound weight, hustle down the beach. That's what the experience of working there is going to be like. If they had a Or the experience of interviewing there. Exactly, exactly. Because that in reality is, if you think about it, employer brand isn't really what they say about themselves. Yes. It's what the people who come in contact with that brand say about that brand. And so the people who come in closest contact are, number one, their employees, but number two, everybody who interviews there, everyone who actually goes through the interview process is going to have an opinion about that company and the way that company is managed and the people and the product and the services and the opportunity when they either get the job or when they don't. Mm -hmm. And guess what? Most people don't get the job. They interview a lot more people who don't get the job than the people who do get the job. So when you compound that and look at how many people sort of, you know, a large company or a medium company or even a smaller company, um, you know, my wife's company, I think they employed 
a couple of hundred people last year. I bet they interviewed a thousand or two thousand, probably two thousand people at least. That's two thousand potential brand ambassadors for that brand if you treat them correctly. So I'd say that is a big part of the employer brand as well. Yeah, there's very few companies that would survive if you said, "Yeah, ninety nine percent of people who come to try and buy from you are going to walk away disappointed and a little mad." It doesn't happen anyplace else except in recruiting. Uh, so you have to manage that. Employer brand is a game of influence. You're not trying to say good or bad. You are trying to say, this is the picture I would like you to have of us. It is some good. It is some bad. And I'd like you to carry it away because I don't need you having been rejected for this job to say, it's the most amazing company ever. What I want you to say is, this is a company that cares about X and Y and I wasn't a good fit or we weren't good fits together. That is what the ultimate employer brand conversation should sound like. It's not a good or bad. It should never be good or bad. It should simply be about for whom is this the right place to work? Yeah. And it should be enough. There should be enough of a hook to get people to want to take a further look. Absolutely. And, and like you said, you don't have to give it all away. You don't have to tell the company's life story in a single message or on the website. You just need to tell people enough for them to go, oh, that actually sounds like an interesting brand and let them do their due diligence through the process that they choose to go through when they engage mm -hmm. with your brand. So I think we've cracked it. I actually think we've cracked it. We've cracked. We've cracked. No, we haven't. We've cracked employer branding for recruiters. And we've talked a bit about, you know, everything that's important from compensation, flexibility and employee experience. Um, do you want to just leave us with one final little nugget of wisdom, James? <laughs> I, I, I don't know where I could land on this one, but I think employer brand, I would love for people to stop thinking about employer brand as this big monolithic idea. It's a way of looking at the world. It's a way of saying it's not about good or bad. It is about good fit. It is about how do I express myself? How do I convey what this place to work is like? How do I get people to say, oh, that sounds good. That sounds bad. That the ultimate experience should repel as many people as it attracts because that's how you're saying, ah, I'm being crystal clear on what this place is really like. And I don't want people just to show up to show up. I want people to want to work here, to go full circle. It is all about desire, which means knowing who you're trying to get to create that desire in and what they would desire. Brilliant. Be bold, be intentional and be authentic. Love it. James Ellis, thank you very much for coming along to Recruiting Trailblazers today. I've enjoyed our conversation. We're definitely going to keep in touch and we'll speak again soon. Thanks so much, Marcus. Had a blast. Cheers.